Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on this week's show, our thoughts about CBS's coverage of the CONCACAF Nations League. We look ahead to Euro 2020 and Copa America that begin this weekend. What we think of FUBO's World Cup qualifying coverage. Where the US men's national team go from here. And your feedback in the listener mailbag segment. I'm Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. If you're new to the podcast, we're your weekly guide for hardcore soccer fans who want to get the best out of soccer viewing options from around the world. And uh, we took last week off. We wanted to take a little bit of a break. And uh, also, really, because we got the Euros and Copa America starting this weekend. Uh, As soon as that's done, you have the Gold Cup. And then um, I think actually mid Gold Cup, then the Olympics start. And then once the Olympics are over, then you're back right back at it with the European soccer seasons. So uh, it was an opportune time to take a break. And uh, Kartik, let's talk about the big topic, which is CBS and the U.S. men's national team. And I think in many ways, they're very intertwined. I mean, if, if you look back in the history of soccer on television just in the last few years, I mean, it's sometimes it, if the U.S. had lost that game against Mexico, I think, I, think it, I think the public at large might be a little bit more critical about CBS's coverage. But because CBS's coverage, because the U.S. men's national team won and CBS's coverage was kind of intertwined with that, there was a feel-good factor. But I think... What's your take on that? Do you think there there is something to that? I mean, do we have a bitter taste in our mouth about Fox because of them being connected to, say, crashing out and not not making the the World Cup? Yeah, or I think we just have a deference to whoever is new. Whenever we have a new broadcaster cover the sport, and I think they've generally been good, right? They've generally upgraded the coverage, but we did it with BN in 2012. We did it with NBC in 2013. I mean, actually, MLS, a lot of MLS fans were doing it with them with NBC in 2012, and now we've done it with CBS in 2020 and 2021 that we get we get kind of excited about new broadcasters and, and, and what, uh, what they bring to, uh, to this. So, 
I think there probably would have been fairly good reviews, even if the U.S. had lost, but certainly the U.S. winning in such a dramatic fashion, you know, just an epic, uh, ma- uh, an epic entertainment spectacle, whether it was good football or not, you can debate, but an, an epic entertainment fo- uh, spectacle uh, was uh, a perfect for CBS in launching them as a, uh, as, as a major broadcaster in the U.S. men's space, right? They've been in the women's space on the club side and obviously in the European space on the club side now for, for, for a few seasons, two seasons. Uh, but this really launches them into the uh, U.S. national team ether, which is a, which is a different set of fans. Yeah, this was huge for CBS Sports and their coverage of this tournament. Uh, it was also huge for CONCACAF, but, but even bigger for the U.S. men's national team. I think both you and I, in the last couple of, year, of years, have been very critical, my, myself uh, especially so, about this U.S. men's national team, uh, not believing in, in this team uh, in terms of uh, the quality and kind of a lot of you mean the perception was among a lot of U.S. fans that uh, this team was you mean world beaters, and and I think we were missing the the reality because I mean a lot of the games that the the team has been playing, which there haven't been that many games, but a lot of them were against uh, weaker opposition, and that was something that Clint Dempsey, uh, I think in the the semi final uh, against Honduras, talked about quite a lot, and he was saying like, hey. I'm disappointed that the U.S. Soccer Federation hasn't scheduled some big friendlies against some of these big teams. We're playing, I mean, we're playing Honduras in a friendly, or we're playing uh, Trinidad and Tobago in a friendly. Or you mean, you mean smaller nations when we should be coming up against some of the bigger teams to really test us? And this was the first test that the U.S. men's national team in a major game, in a meaningful game, has had in almost two years. And I think in a lot of ways. Our our concerns about this team for me, for, I'm not going to talk for you, Kartik, but but for me, I think in many ways I feel a lot better about this team after this game. I think that um, they're young, but they have a fight about them. They have a, you mean they have a belief about them. Now, skill skill wise, I don't think they're the finished article by any means, but they have the determination and a lot of the things that have been really popular or really good about this U.S. men's national team for the last probably two or three decades. That fight, that athleticism, that just hunger to win, uh, which sometimes can defeat skillful teams. But I was really, really pumped and really, really excited about just uh, what they put out. Uh, both um, actually a, a little bit in the semifinal, they showed some moments of, of brilliance. Uh, but in the final itself, I was really, really Really, really happy. Really, really pleased to see them actually play the, the way that they did. And uh, what a game. The, the theatrics, I mean, the drama in this game, uh, it was so, so entertaining. And I, I think CBS really did a fantastic job of, of capturing the excitement. Yeah, I mean, I have very low expectations for, for the U.S. men's national team. I don't rate most of these players as highly as uh, uh the vast majority of U.S. fans do. I do rate. There are a few I rate very highly. John Brooks, Weston McKinney are guys I rate extremely highly, and I and I've actually liked what I've seen from Timmy Weah as kind of a resourceful uh, player coming off the bench for Lille, who won the title in France this year. So there are guys I like. I think they have a lot of good players. I just don't think there are any elite players in in this U.S. side. Although I do think McKinney has the opportunity to get there. So my view is they exceeded my expectations. They 
I didn't find the the the, the object uh, uh, the, the the problems with the Thursday match. Everybody is so negative after the match against Honduras. That match was also on CBS, and that was when we first got to see Clint Dempsey and Gooch and Charlie Davies. And everyone was talking about how terrible the U.S. was and how they needed a late winner uh, to beat Honduras and how 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 dramatic this is. First of all, they're coming off of a long club season in Europe. If you watched any of the friendlies this week, which ESPN Plus offered us, the European most of the European uh, um, te- teams, favored teams going into the Euros don't look very good either. Okay, They look like unfinished articles. And I, I would include France and Belgium, the favorites in that, and England, certainly. England has uh, also the injury to Harry Maguire, which could be very serious for them. Uh, so I, 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 because I consume football from all over, I don't have this diluted expectation. I thought the U.S. was fine on Thursday. Uh, they beat a, a, a Honduras team with a lot of veterans. They got the job done. They got a goal late. Uh, that's the way CONCACAF is. If you go back through the annals of CONCACAF, when the U.S. was winning gold cups, they were beating Panama 1-0 on late goals. I remember the game against Honduras in 2005 Gold Cup, which we won, where we scored two goals basically in stoppage time. Uh, Johnny Owen Gooch, who, who's on CBS now, uh, to, to beat them. I, I mean, it, it, this is the way CONCACAF is. So all this new generation of American fans have this ridiculous expectation. And then last night, uh, we're recording this Monday, last night, I mean, that that the best the U.S. has played against Mexico in two decades in terms of attacking football. I know there are a lot of Dose Cerro matches where the U.S. would sit back, absorb pressure, hit Mexico on set pieces, hit them on the break. Uh, now, the break didn't really work for the U.S. in this match, but the set pieces did, which was a kind of a throwback. Uh, but the U.S. has not created this many chances to be uh, in a game against Mexico, against a Mexican A-team, I would say in two decades, honestly. As much as the U.S. had dominated that series from 2000, uh, from, from yeah, from about the friendly in 2000, which we, the, the, uh, one of the friendlies until um, 2011 Gold Cup, where, where uh, Mexico came back and, and, and beat us 4-2 in the final. Yes. Yeah, as much as the U.S. dominated the series, the U.S. never created this many chances against Mexico. So I don't like the narratives at all that the U.S. wasn't good and that this team is an unfinished article. This is as good as it gets. And I'm I'm kind of overwhelmed by how how uh, how well they did, in my opinion. Both yeah. games. Yeah, there's still some things in terms of, uh, I think, player selection and putting the players in those jigsaw pieces. You mean, so, for example, uh, the Honduras game, uh, not playing Tyler Adams, but, of course, Adams is... is I mean, coming off an injury, he hasn't had much playing time. Uh, he's being kind of brought in slowly but surely. And also, I think uh, Berhalter um, trying to um, cap-tie some of these players to get them kind of cap-tied so they, they will be playing for the United States or available in the, in the future. But I think overall, I was um, very surprised, especially on Sunday, but very surprised and very pleased w- with the actual um, playing level. What I would say, though, Kartik, you, you mentioned just a minute ago how this is one of the, the kind of the best attacking performances you've seen in, in a couple of decades against Mexico. To me, I would argue that, that and, and having said that, that's without a true number nine. I mean, yeah, I think, I think yeah. Josh Sargent, he has potential. But to me, like putting like a Daryl DK in there, I think that if it doesn't work with DK, I'm not sure because I'm, I don't believe in Sargent in terms of that type of number nine player. He's more of a kind of a false nine and uh, good for link-up play, but is not as aggressive and kind of a, doesn't have that striker mentality that Sia Dempsey had. 
so our friend uh, Neil Blackman uh, reacted to my tweet about Sargent saying, hey, you know, all these people want to drop Sargent because he doesn't score goals. He is the best counter-presser and, and, uh, and attacking presser out of possession that the U.S. has, and that showed in both game matches, in my opinion. Much better than Pulisic or Reyna at that, or, or uh, Leggett. Yeah, so, but, but we need uh, him to score I, goals, not to be counter-pressing. Well, okay, no, you don't. No, you don't. I disagree. So... Neil makes a great point. He goes, he's our Emil Heskey. He's not there yet. He's not at Heskey's level. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with having an Emil Heskey yeah. if you're going to get goals from midfield, if you get goals from McKinney, who's capable of – he scored a number of set-piece goals like he did last night against uh, – this year with Juventus. If you get goals from Pulisic, if you yeah, get goals from Reina, if you get goals off the bench from Sibachu, who was one of those players, by the way. You mentioned cap-tying. I think um, Burhalter sends Sibachu in to cap-tie. Uh, because he's dual, he's played for France's U21 team, yep. uh, so now he's uh, he's cap tied uh, to the US, and he gets a goal to win. So that's, right, yeah, no, that, it's, that's it's a good bonus, bonus right? Yeah, but yeah. but Sargent isn't a Heskey. I mean, it's not even the he's same category. Yet. He's not there yet. Well, he he, could be he, a even body type, even just the. You yeah. mean I I don't think he'll ever be that. And yes, he may do well. In, in in I don't know I I just don't think at that world class level at, at that World Cup level at Concacaf at World Cup qualifying I don't think he's going to be the type of striker that's going to score a lot of goals. Now he he may, he may get an assist here and there, but I just don't think he's that type of player. Could, could he be Giroud? Giroud makes everybody on that France team better around him. Yeah, but I, I, I think Sargent could do that. Yeah, no, although I, Giroud does score goals too. That's exactly, <laughs> that's my point. <laughs> But, but but going back to CBS's coverage for a minute, though, Kartik, because um, this was an interesting strategy because it was a completely new cast of talent other than the host. And uh, you had a lot of people being brought in uh, that uh, basically kind of throw them deep in the water and see what they could do. And you had Cape Ad- Abdo, Aguchi uh, Onoeu, uh, Clint Dempsey, Charlie Davis and, and, and others. And um, what I would say is definitely Dempsey was the star of the show, uh, I think, in many ways, because he seemed to be himself. He seemed to be really relaxed, having fun, a little bit still not natural in front of the camera. He's still got a ways to go before he feels where where he needs to look and he's kind of looking back and forth. It's a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit awkward, but that passion is there. And what I like about him is that he's willing to speak his mind. He seems to be the type of guy who doesn't mind saying saying some some tough things at times and saying, hey, the, you mean, this team could be doing better or the USSF should be uh, scheduling uh, some tougher friendlies, et cetera, et cetera. What I would say is that I think Charlie Davis talks too much and is is kind of, and sometimes uh, is monopolizing the conversation where I'd like to hear from um, Aguchu Onoeu and Dempsey a little bit more. Um, but overall, I thought it was really good uh, chemistry between them all, and uh, and of course, when they win, it's it's great television. And I, and I, th- I thought there was a really kind of a, a breath of fresh air, and uh, something that's probably it's completely different, right, than the Champions League coverage, which is more of a European flavor. This was definitely an American flavor, and I don't think it's going to appeal to everyone. But I think for this audience, it's it's a good fit. What, what's your take? Um, is it a good fit for this audience? I, uh, I suppose it is. Yeah. I, and I think having, I, I thought more would do was actually very good in co-commentary. If, uh, if, uh, we want to talk about CBS's coverage, I thought to me, he was a standout other than Dempsey. Dempsey obviously has, has, has a colorful personality, but I, thought, I think more would do is really becoming, uh, between his reps at Fox and, and, uh, 
um, and and now CBS. He, he, he's been somewhere else too, right? Am I? Uh, I think he was at ESPN for a little bit. He's, he's a Turner. Yeah. He, he, Turner, yeah, he was at TNT. That's right, right. Uh, with Champions League. Yeah, I, I think he he's really getting there as both a, a studio guy and, and in I this think, case a co-commentator. I think it helps uh, though. I think it helps because like like Drake Cordero is so. Um, just calls it as he sees it. I mean, he's straight down the middle as far as a commentator goes. And then when you have, say, Moadu paired with John Strong, and John's a good commentator too, but John is very much talkative, very positive. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And look at this, look at that. I think that chemistry then with Moadu isn't a, a better fit. I mean, with Dre, it's kind of straight down the middle, and it allows Mo to kind of come in and give some really opinionated uh, observations, which sometimes might be negative. It may, it may not always be positive. And, and I, I like that uh, chemistry much, much better, where it opens Mo to be a little bit more uh, honest with, with the viewer. I think it works out really, really well. Yeah, I, I, I also felt like uh, the studio coverage, I didn't get as much from it as I would get from uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, an, an ESPN. But again, I guess there's one direction ESPN has gone with their coverage, uh, which which will be on uh, display in the Euros this week, starting with the Wednesday night preview, preview show that they're doing. Uh, and then Friday, uh, Italy and, and Turkey is the f- first match of the Euros versus what we've seen from other broadcasters of soccer particularly of american soccer but uh, i did uh i did think the match broadcast was very good i think kate abdo showed an ability to connect with both obviously she's been doing some very european-centric uh work uh, with champions league but then uh coming stateside and doing uh, some good u.s-centric work and then i would say um the 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 thing about Charlie Davies is he talks too much, and I think he's too much of a rah-rah cheerleader type. And maybe uh, with U.S. broadcast, the feeling is you need to have that on the air. Look, I mean, if you flip to Univision, it's the same thing for Mexico, although uh, Ramsey Sandoval seem, tends to be more of a kind of a, a U.S. guy. Uh, but uh, the rest uh, tend to be very pro-Mexico. But I, uh, I don't know that that's necessary on, uh, on, on these things. They're all, these are all former U.S. players. We know that. But I, we, we want a, some, a little more nuance in, in, in the analysis. I do think Moadu gives that. Like, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm getting very impressed with him. There was, he did something for Fox recently, too, that we, I think on this show we, we said we were impressed with his uh, – maybe it was an MLS match. But uh, he's, yep. uh, he's coming into his own. So uh, he would be the star for me of, of the week on Fox. On, uh, excuse me. He's on Fox also the week on CBS. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it this this formula could work out really well for CBS if they did get the MLS rights. So I, I think having a Dempsey, Charlie Davis, and uh, Gooch and Abdo teamwork there, uh, I think after a while would get a little bit old if we were, if they were doing MLS games every week. If if MLS if if CBS was able to acquire um, a large portion of the the next MLS uh, TV rights deal. And uh, but I think I think that type of audience would res. I think those people would resonate well with the MLS audience. And uh, I think it's in many ways it's very different than what the other broadcasters do, right? So you have um, CBS's well, CBS's coverage of the Champions League has a very European flavor to it. But even ESPN's coverage of soccer in general has a European flavor to it in terms of the talent and the types of conversations and discussions that they have and the commentators they use. Same thing with NBC Sports, too, where it is very much um, more kind of a... um, Kind of a, a kind of a stiff shirt, kind of uh, a tie shirt and tie type of thing, 
Uh, and with the CBS coverage of the CONCACAF Nations League, and I'm sure more games in the future from CBS on the American side, it does feel more relaxed. It feels more laid back. It feels more fun and interesting. And and yes, it's lacking, I think, some of that analysis at times. You brought up a good topic. I think we, we talked offline, Kartik, a few days ago about a... I don't know if you remember, but um, a topic that would have been a good topic for that Honduras match to talk about this U.S. men's national team and, and how different this team is with or without one player and how much of a difference that that player makes. And I thought that was a great uh, point in terms of that would be something I'd love for CBS to, to tackle in the future as a topic. Do you remember who that player was? Yeah, it was Tyler Adams. So um, I, I, there wasn't any analysis of how uh, the U.S. operates without a deep-lying playmaker who's also kind of a, a holding midfielder that can that isn't a destroyer but can serve as a shield of that back four and allow Weston McKinney to uh, to have a little more freedom uh, to do his thing. Now, I, if I do, I'm going to criticize the performance against Honduras. I'm going to say McKinney was off because Jackson Ewell was a bad choice of partner by Greg Berhalter. Uh, but Berhalter fixed it. I mean, I, there are a lot of people who don't want to give him any credit for anything, right? And I, I understand. I was as critical as anyone. And uh, I put my neck on the line personally, individually, with my name on it, uh, attached to it about how uh, unhappy I was about the selection process, how unhappy I was as a stakeholder in, in soccer in this country at the, how the US, U.S. soccer conducted uh, conducted the coaching search. But that's gone now. It's been three years. So what I want to see is progress from this guy. I don't want to be sandbagging him constantly like people who, who, who are still relitigating the, the, the search process or the so-called search process. Um, I, he got it right. He realizes Sergio Dest, which maybe he should have realized if he had watched some Barcelona during the season. Sergio Dest can't, can't, can't uh, mark one-on-one uh, it, at, at this level, right? And, and Honduras, they took him to task. If he had been left isolated on Lionez in the uh, second half yesterday, I mean, Mexico would have scored four or five goals potentially. So he, he, he changed his formation to protect um, protect uh, Dest. He changed it, uh, the, 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 the team selection with Acosta coming in for Yule in order to give McKinney uh, more freedom to go forward and do the things that have made Weston McKinney a, a starter for Juventus, right? And uh, I thought that was very good. And CBS highlighted that on Sunday. My problem was on Thursday, they didn't highlight, well, here's the, here's, here are the liabilities um, for the U.S. without having uh, a, a season number six or without having Tyler Adams. And then here are the, 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 the potential problems of starting um, – Anthony Robinson, who uh, played as a wingback for Fulham this season as a left back. And here are the problems with starting Serginho Guest, who is not a good man marker uh, as the right back mm-hmm. uh, against a, an athletic quick Honduran team. So, yeah, I think that there were there were things that they didn't talk about on Thursday that ESPN would have talked about if ESPN were covering this game that Fox probably wouldn't have talked about. But ESPN would have. But Sunday, uh, they did well kind of highlighting some of these things and these individual matchups. Maybe they needed one U.S. game under their belt to kind of get a feel for, for what were talkable uh, top topics related to personnel and tactics. Uh, but, yeah, I think they dropped the ball on Thursday, as, as you mentioned. Uh, I said that to you privately, and I, I do think Sunday they were much better on, on that specific topic. Yeah, they're, they're certainly not the finished article by any means, but I think in many ways they have a lot of potential. And um, I don't 
I don't foresee them doing tactical boards, you mean kind of uh, screens and, and doing that type of level of analysis, which is OK. But, you mean, it would be good for them to talk about some of the uh, some of the big topics, because we, I think I mean, Berhalter is still, still trying to figure out his best starting 11, uh, as we are, too. And there's a lot of potential there. I think just all the, the players are not in the, in the right slots quite yet. But what I would say, though, Kartik, is that um, in some ways, this gives us a glimpse of what soccer coverage in the United States could look like in the next few years. And we've got the MLS TV deal that ends um, at the end of uh, 2022, um, at the same time as the um, both the U.S. women's national team and U.S. men's national team. So we're going to be entering a phase um, for the next probably six years uh, after next year where... CBS has a good opportunity, um, if they can win the bids, uh, to get a lot of these rights. At the same time, too, we know that the Premier League uh, TV rights deal is up also uh, this upcoming season. Starting in August will be NBC's last one in their current deal. Obviously, they'll try to renew those rights, but uh, there's a potential for CBS to come in to get those, too. And that will probably be probably the London-based uh, studio, I would imagine, in, in terms of the talent there. Do you think in some ways are we seeing the future of uh, U.S. soccer coverage or, or, or soccer coverage uh, on U.S. TV and, and streaming with CBS? Yeah, I, I do think that there's a generation of players now, national team players, uh, that have not been uh, in broadcasting. Uh, uh, I think uh, – Actually, because they had to retire, both had to retire prematurely. Kyle Martino and Taylor Twelman got, and, and Stu Holden, right? Those three guys all had had uh, injuries, injury issues that that forced the, them out of the game at an earlier age. They all got uh, a jump on that generation. But now the guys who more recently retired, like uh, Gooch and like uh, um, like uh, Charlie Davies and Moadu are, are getting into the media. So it's changing kind of the complexion of, uh, of the broadcast. In addition, uh, there are people who leave the sport who are U.S. Um, men's national team legends. Tabaray Ramos left uh, soccer for many years, but he eventually made his way back into coaching and, and, and became the USU 20 coach, did a great job with uh, the, this current generation that's uh, now in the senior team. And, the, and now, of course, is coaching in MLS. Um, same thing has happened with Clint Dempsey. You know, he retired a few years ago, kind of disappeared from the from the soccer scene. He didn't go straight into broadcasting. He didn't do uh, go into coaching. Uh, but now he's back. And I think he's a guy that everybody universally around U.S. soccer has so much respect for. And I think he's one of the few players in the history of this program or in the recent history of this program that hasn't polarized opinion, right? I think everybody loves Deuce. So having him in the media and having his kind of attitude, which he, he's a very uh, offbeat guy, and the media rules, just general media, not the soccer media, just general media, American media rules of 2005, 2010, Deuce was probably too outlandish a character to be on television, <laughs> and particularly on a major network. Yeah. Now in 2021, you have different rules, and, and I think it's great. I mean, it's uh, look, I, I have so much respect for the guy just as a, as a human being and, and as a footballer. Uh, if, if you don't know his backstory or his background, you just know him as a great national team player, uh, look it up and, 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 and look up some of his interests and some of the other things outside of uh, soccer he's been into. He, he's, he's an amazing person, and uh, I think it's great uh, for this next generation to have him 
him as one of the um, the people who were who were bringing U.S. soccer matches, U.S. national team matches into their homes. So, yeah, I think that I think the future looks more like that kind of broadcast. I think the rules, the general rules of presentation, have changed in terms of uh, how matches, pregame shows, etc., are presented now. That having been said, I think the actual match broadcast, taking the studio pregame and postgame show out of it, will remain kind of consistently the same. I don't think the formula is going to change very much. And in fact, uh, Andre Cordero and Moa Dulin, whoever else CBS might add in the future, I think that they uh, uh, they, they have that formula down. They, they kind of understand that formula. I don't think it's going to deviate a, a whole lot. But pregame and postgame shows are a whole different matter. You can imagine, too, Kartik, uh, on Monday morning uh, this week, Major League Soccer, the office must have been buzzing, thinking like, hey, like, how can we get our MLS games on CBS? We want to have Dempsey calling our games. I mean, that would be a natural fit in many ways. And, and I think um, I'm sure there's going to, going to be discussions. Um, Fox and Univision and ESPN have first dibs on those rights. They have an exclusive window. Uh, that ends, I think, in July or August. So, so they're already in talks about the next deal for Major League Soccer and what that's what that's going to look like. And if they're interested or not, we'll find out soon. But um, but Dempsey for me, he, he's having fun. You, you can tell he's he's enjoying it. It's a whole new environment for him. He's still not sure how it works, but he, <laughs> it's fun to watch. And um, I think in many ways that that was a risky move by CBS. CBS. I mean, the, their executive producer, as, as on the last podcast, uh, we, we included that in the, uh, the audio where uh, Dempsey got a phone call and he said, like, hey, yeah, like this is CBS and, and we're calling and seeing if you're interested in coming back into soccer and you mean, c- covering soccer for us. So it was a risky move. So far, it's paid off big time. Of course, it helps that the U.S. won that game, and not just won that game, but what a what a game that was. It was a game that I think many of us will remember for many different reasons for a very, very long time. But um, I was impressed, really, really imp- impressed with the coverage. Not perfect by any means, but it's heading in the right direction. And I like that they did it differently than their Champions League coverage. Now, are they going to do the same thing when they get Serie A starting this summer? In August, is that going to have a different look and feel to it? Um, if they get the Premier League, same with that too. If they get Major League Soccer, is there a way to have a strong identity with a strong, I mean, talent, some of the best of the best in those different categories to make it feel like it's a really great experience that 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 puts that league or competition on a pedestal? So far, so good. We will have to wait and see. Now, Kartik, um, before we go on to other news, I do want to mention a couple of other things I did catch um, this past week, uh, or a couple of weeks, actually. I saw the, um, the Sir Alex Ferguson documentary, uh, speaking of Paramount+, Plus, uh, called Never Give, Give In. Uh, for anyone who hasn't watched this yet, I highly recommend it, even if you're not a Manchester United supporter. But this is uh, Sir Alex Ferguson's life story in his own words, in a documentary directed by his son, Jason Ferguson. And this one really touches on a lot of things that uh, I don't think uh, people knew about in terms of uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, that we knew that he had some health issues, uh, but it goes behind the scenes and and talks to him about uh, that whole experience. And then his memories of going back and and some of the, I mean, starting at... um, 
um, starting at, um, actually, which club was he at? at uh, outside Glasgow, but then eventually went to Rangers and then went to Aberdeen and to Manchester United, etc. So I highly recommend that. That's exclusively live, well, not live, exclusively on demand on uh, Paramount+. Plus. And then one more thing, Kartik, before I ask you what, what uh, you want to mention too. I watched uh, the World Cup qualifiers uh, this past week on Thursday and getting ready to watch the ones on Tuesday. Uh, these are live and exclusive on streaming on Fubo. So this is brand new for them. This is the very first time that they're going after like a big property and doing a direct deal and showing these games exclusively to, um, to viewers in the United States. Um, so all the games have been shown thus far have included, which is interesting. It's I don't think it's the world feed, but I think they actually ha- they have the the UK feed feed. So we're hearing a lot of the. I think Peter Drury did one of the games. A lot of the uh, English uh, announcers calling these games, but the actual pre-game, post-game, and halftime coverage. So far, uh, it's a mixed bag. Um, they've got Melissa Ortiz on there, who is a uh, former Colombian um, soccer player that played in the Olympics, um, also a South Florida resident. Uh, I thought she did a fantastic job. She's like a natural on camera, uh, knows the subject matter in terms of the South American teams, gets all the pronunciations correct, does a really, really stellar job. However, Julie Stewart-Binks, as the host, was just, just abysmal, really, really bad, no energy, um, just really, just really robotic, very flat, just, just, just nothing there, and mispronunciations, just really, really awkward. And having her as the host, uh, just is not working out for me. So a bunch of times I've I've tried to watch the pre-match and post-match and halftime, and I can make it about five minutes in, and I just have to change the channel because it's it's just so so bad. So uh, they also have Jaime Mourinho. Um, DC United legend and, and many others uh, involved too. And I think on the Spanish language side too, they've got a whole bunch of other analysts um, and, and you mean former players on the Spanish language side. So they have every single game, Spanish language and English language. Um, so far, so good in terms of the streaming. The other thing about this too, Kartik, is that um, they have a new thing on Fubo for these games, which is they're adding interactive content into the games. So if you want to, you don't have to do it, but if you want to, while you're watching the game on Android or on um, Amazon Fire, you can actually toggle, navigate up up the page, and it'll give you live stats. It'll give you upcoming scores, uh, scores for other games. It'll give you the team lineups and also polls and questions and things like that. So that's something brand new and that i think will be in many ways the future of smart tv is having that as an option now if you want to you can toggle that off and not show that but those are the things i've been watching what about you can anything stand out um i'm trying to think uh, from this past week i've, I've watched uh, liga mechie's final i guess we haven't done a uh, right. a show since then right that's uh now <laughs> that seems like a, an eternity ago uh but yeah that, that was a that that was actually a phenomenal match. Cruz Azul I, gets over the hump. I mean, they they're such a well supported team. We'll get into uh, in TV in not TV streaming news in our ratings section uh, how many people watched that match, which was an extraordinary number uh, for U.S. television, uh, as as was the Champions League final. So that was good. Uh, lots of uh, uh, England bits I've watched uh, on Sky and on BT. 
and uh, uh, you're, you're, we're getting into a, a point where there's um, just a ton of over-analysis of, of, of the England squad and, and uh, to a lesser extent, an over-analysis of, of, of the squads of, of uh, the countries that they think can compete with England, which are France, Belgium, Italy, Spain, uh, Portugal, right, uh, mm-hmm. Croatia. Yep. So uh, I'm ready just for the tournament to start and I'm going to shut off the noise the next few days uh, in terms of that. And then, um, yeah, and then CONCACAF Nations League basically is what, what I've watched. And uh, the, I, uh, for those... Uh, just real quickly, who have not watched uh, Liga and Mackies in the last few seasons, you may be blown away by how good the quality play is, how entertaining the league has become. Because it used to be kind of this very slow league. I liked it because it was technical and it was a league I kind of grew up watching because it was the only only soccer on in this country for a while, right, on television. Mm-hmm. Same thing with you, Chris. That's why I think we have a, a soft spot for the Mexican league. But now I think the football is very good. And when I see... Now, maybe this is showing my bias as a, as a North American uh, person, but uh, when I see the Brazilian League and the Argentine League now on CBS having more regular access to those leagues, I don't see a whole lot of difference in quality. In fact, I think very often uh, the football for Mexico is better. So uh, uh, that, that final was also uh, what a great showcase for the league it was. And that was uh, now, I guess, what, about a week and a half ago. Yeah, yeah, and that's one too. I think uh, Cruz Azul just showed how difficult they are to beat i mean defensively sound i mean like really good shape and uh just a really difficult team to break down so yeah absolutely now in terms of what games to watch our recommended games for uh this next week mine has to be uh england against croatia this is on going to be on sunday 9 a.m eastern i think it is um and this one is going to be really a rematch of the uh the last World Cup semi-final in a, in a game that England should have really uh, put that one away in the first half, um, but missed the opportunity, and uh, Croatia went on to win it. But I, I think, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, England has so much talent to choose from. I think just like the US in many ways, there is a lot of young young players, and uh, it's a lot of it's chemistry, trying to figure out which players do you start. There's a lot of options that England has. Uh, you've already mentioned Kartik, uh Harry Maguire, how much of an impact that player uh, will make if he's available or not. Um, but what for you is your match to watch this week? Yeah, I'm going to slightly disagree in saying England should have put that game away. I think, sure, they scored early, but Croatia were a much better team, in my opinion. And, and they had Rakitic and Modric in midfield really controlling things. That's three years ago. Rakitic is not an international anymore. So, yeah, that that that's that would be my game to watch too, Chris. But since you took it, um, let me go uh, two days ahead. We don't have the Copa America television schedules yet, so... Uh, uh, oh, we do. <laughs> we do. This. We do. Yeah, we yeah, actually, yeah, worldsoccertalk.com. Nothing of Official, but we do have the schedules. So. Well, yeah, I have the tournament schedule, but I don't know what channel okay. each game is going to be on. So, right. um, we're going to. Well, I can so tell I'm you. Do, <laughs> um, okay, I can. I, well, we'll go ahead and do France Germany on Tuesday, oh. um, in, in the Euros because that matchup. There's so much talk about how good this French team is. My view is Germany are either going to bomb out of this tournament with one point or no points. Maybe even Hungary beats them. Or they're going to be really good and, and, and potentially win it. Uh, we just don't know how the Yogi Le situation with the players, he's on his way out. It, clearly, he had lost a dressing room a couple of years ago. I think he lost it during the Nations League. Uh, I would have sacked him after they, lost, they blew a two-goal lead against the Dutch in 2018. Uh, but... This Germany team, Chris, they are still so good in midfield, at least on paper. And um, 
I, I, I see some of the things that Germany have tried in the friendlies, and they're playing, uh, at times, they're playing Gnabry as, as a false nine. They're, you're seeing, uh, uh, if you play Gundawan and Muller together, you have two guys coming from, in Gundawan's position, a deep lying uh, area, Muller, maybe a more advanced area, that are un paralleled in the modern game and find other than maybe you know a couple of exceptions finding pockets of space uh muller maybe the best in the last 20 years at that so um don't sleep on germany they might i like i said they could crash out of the tournament because of the internal dynamics they also could be a contender to win this thing even though everybody seems to have written them off so uh i will pick that game germany and france and and maybe you're going to have a huge shock i mean to me germany beating france isn't a shock but i think for 99% 99% of you would probably would be. So uh, that's uh, Tuesday. Yeah, and that's the thing, though, too. Sometimes like teams on paper look incredible, right? And then, and then in practice, it's a completely different story. It's like, I mean, what, what happened? What went wrong? And, and that's happened so many times in the past uh, with England, you mean, where you, you'd look at the, the lineup on paper and go, okay, this is actually a pretty decent side. And then in reality, they would just you know, bomb out uh, the first round of, of uh, a World Cup tournament. But um, yeah, Copa America. So, so we do know that Sunday we'll have uh, Brazil against Venezuela. Uh, this game is going to be on Fox, uh, five o'clock Eastern time, and then uh, later that night, uh, Colombia against Ecuador on FS2, and then uh, both of those games are going to be on Tudo NA. Uh, Monday is going to be uh, Argentina against Chile, and uh, that one should be on FS1 and Unamas and Tudo NA. So, so some big games coming up um, after these World Cup qualifiers. Colombia-Ecuador games are always interesting, even in Copa Americas, by the way. Uh, so that they, that those are two countries that have a very um, a history in qualifying of the, the uh, in, in not necessarily in Copas, but in qualifying of, of the country that you don't expect to win, winning and, and stealing points. And uh, Colombia costing Ecuador a spot in the World Cup or vice versa. So uh, that's actually a nice little rivalry. I like that, but I don't like FS2 it being on FS2. But uh, but maybe uh, that's a bonus pick that that Colombia Ecuador match. I'd certainly watch that and tune in if you if you have FS2. If not, uh, you said 2DNA also, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. All right, so in the last podcast we did, Kartik, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were teasing the listeners. We were like, hey, listeners, you mean one of the people involved in the Euro 2020, one of the studio guests there, is going to be somebody you, you know pretty well that you're used to watching week in, week out. Hint, hint, but we can't say who it is. But, and we, well, we mentioned some, other, some of the other names uh, of the people that were going to be involved. Uh, but uh, since the last podcast... Uh, they have made it official. Um, who are some of the names, Kartik, that are going to be on ESPN, um, ESPN's coverage of Euro 2020 that's uh, in the studio? Yeah, so obviously Reese Davis is the leading uh, is the lead studio host, uh, as we knew. But uh, Kelly Cates, who I think everybody knows uh, well and is the daughter of uh, Sir Kenny Dagleach, she's going to be uh, she's going to be hosting. You're going to have uh, uh, several other uh, hosts uh, that include uh, Seb Salazar, uh, Kay Murray, and Dalen uh, Cuff, and uh, obviously. Uh, uh, We've seen 
a fair amount of Kay Murray uh, hosting Euro- European side stuff, but we've never seen Seb. Seb has kind of been pigeonholed on the American side, right? And then um, the Friday ESPN FC. So it's great for him. I, I think that's fantastic, and it's great to have an American voice like him hosting, uh, an American soccer voice like him. And then you're going to have um, – uh, let, let me just run through the names uh, real quickly. I, I, we, I, have we mentioned these on the podcast before? No. I don't think we have. No. Uh, Maka, I, th- I think that was predictable. Julie Foudy, that's very predictable, obviously. Uh, Alessandro Del Piero, who has been a phenomenal addition to the ESPN FC Daily Show, uh, if you don't watch that Daily Show, and gives, uh, I think, maybe the most um, the most objective uh, uh, objective analysis of Serie A out there. You would be surprised. You would think that Del Piero were, was a big Juve guy, right? Maybe the Juve fans in the U.S. hate him now because his his analysis is so spot on, right, and so objective. Um, T- Timmy Howard, uh, I guess on loan from NBC, uh, will be there. Uh, and obviously Howard has uh, played with a number of these players and uh, through, through his career. Uh, Sammy Kadira, really exciting addition, just recently retired as a player a couple weeks ago. Uh, Chris Coleman, a favorite of yours, uh, um, Finally, Chris, I, in fact, I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I, finally, finally, I was waiting for you to the, the lead story, Kartik. You're like saying that Chris Coleman was last. <laughs> well, I mean, for Fulham fans, so I, I, men- I mentioned oh. it to a couple of Fulham fans who didn't know, and they they were actually pretty pretty excited and reminded me of what a raw deal he got when they uh, they right. sacked him there. But that'll be good. He led uh, Wales obviously to the semifinals and Swansea uh, last yeah. year. And then my personal favorite, who has already shown himself to be at a really high level as a studio analyst. Uh, the one and only Nita Anuha, who came through Manchester City's academy and is uh, <laughs> just become a phenomenal uh, analyst. You're going to have um, uh, also uh, Craig Burley, who played in the Euro '96 for uh, for Scotland uh, in 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 the studio at times. Casey Keller, who of course is uh, the co-commentator for a lot of Bundesliga matches on ESPN, a former U.S. national team goalkeeper. Mark Clattenburg, who we've missed on NBC the last season or two. Uh, and uh, he, of course, was the referee of uh, the France-Portugal match uh, in the final in, in 2016. He's going to be ESPN's uh, VAR, resident VAR guru and, and also talking about other controversial uh, calls potentially. Sam Borden, as usual, will be part of uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the commentary team. Uh, Etc. Will, will be doing reporting. Um, and, uh, okay, Martin, gotcha. that's good. What? That's good. That's that's good. That's good. We don't have to go through every every single name. I mean, there's a lot of other people too. But uh, I, I just want to butt in for a minute. I'm sorry. The uh, Tim Howard, I think, is is interesting, right? This is the very first time he's ever done ESPN. Uh, he must be an independent contractor, I guess, for NBC, or at least has something in his contract that says, "Hey, uh, you give me the permission to go ahead and do some uh, to do some TV deals when the Premier League's not on." I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if Tim Howard's going to do well, Kartik. I, I, I just. Um, I. I just don't know. You know what I mean? It's again. It's. He doesn't seem. I mean, with. It's a different type of ana- analysis. Well, it's a different type of crew. So, I don't know if how well Tim Howard is going to fit in with this crew, um, on set. You mean because you might have some really spirited conversations about whatever it may be. Um, I. I just I'm not sold on him yet for NBC, and I just don't know for ESPN if he's going to be a good fit for there. Now he might be better at CBS. You mean in the future, in two or three years from now, 
but I just don't know about ESPN's uh, 20, Euro 2020 coverage and how much homework he's done and how prepared he is to really do well. I think he, he know, he'll do well on the tactical side, so maybe he's a better fit for the ESPN FC show than for the actual kind of – because I'm assuming the, the studio is not going to be that detailed with tactics and, and getting uh, getting deep into things. So it's interesting that there are two former U.S. men's national team goalkeepers with Howard and Keller um, – in in the uh, uh, in in the studio for ESPN, <laughs> that's a nice little dynamic from a U.S. men's national team perspective. Well, uh, that you have two goalkeepers in there, but that's, uh, because goalkeepers uh, analyze things differently than field players. That's why I mentioned. Yeah, but w- which is which has been good on NBC's coverage of the Premier League when there has been an instance where there's a incident involving a goalkeeper, or, or this. I mean, same thing with CBS with Peter Schmeichel, where if it's penalties and 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 then Peter's sharing his. Um, his viewpoints and his observations and his experience and uh, same thing with Euro 2020 if there's something happens with a goalkeeper that's uh, interesting Tim Howard there's probably better uh, no no one better in the US to talk about that just in terms of just general conversation about you mean mean, whatever the talking points are for whatever game it is um, I'm I'm sure he'll do his homework I just don't I still have to be sold on him. I'm, I'm going to give him you mean, an opportunity and give him, you mean, be open about it um, and give him you mean, his, his chance. But I just do want to see him do better, maybe at ESPN, than he has done at NBC. All right, Kartik, uh, other news. So um, this week, uh, Paramount Plus has lowered its price. So previously, it was five ninety nine a month. They have now launched a new tier, which is four ninety nine a month. So it's one dollars one dollar less. It's called the Essential Plan. Uh, the big difference about this one is that um, it has all the soccer from before, has all the access to everything that we're used to in terms of movies and shows. Um, what it does not have is access to CBS Live over the air, so your, your local CBS station. So if that's not a big deal for you. Uh, and you get CBS some other way, whether it's Rabbit Ears or, or a, a, a subscription to something else, then you could basically downgrade your plan from a, if you if you have a five five ninety nine a month plan, you can downgrade that to a four ninety nine dollars a month plan. So so it's up to you, but uh, it does put Paramount Plus on the same price as Peacock, and side by side right now, you look at Paramount Plus and what they have to offer especially on the soccer side alone. That doesn't even include all the movies and and original programming. And then look at Peacock, and Peacock's pretty pale in comparison. I mean, I I go to Peacock every few days just to see what's on there. But um, I just wonder with Peacock, too, because even with Peacock, it's still not on Amazon Fire TV. I mean, it's been over a year. Um, As far as I know, Peacock's not going to have much of the Olympics this summer. Um, so there's still a lot of question marks about the future of Peacock and how serious they are. Now, if they go ahead and renew the rights to the Premier League and they go ahead and put all those games available uh, on Peacock and then get in with the maybe U.S. soccer and do a U.S. men's national team deal and put some of those games on Peacock, then it's a different story. But but for right now, uh, Paramount Plus definitely uh, giving Peacock some, some massive competition there. And then last but not least, Kartik, uh, just one quick news item. And, and this is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago about Warner Media uh, merging with Discovery Plus, which is a huge merger, which could have some implications for soccer in the future in terms of streaming, maybe a new streaming service 
where soccer might be a active um, active component of that. Well, they've come up with a name because we were like, okay, what are they going to call it? I mean, Warner Media Discovery Plus or Discovery Plus or whatever. The new name is Warner Brothers Discovery. Which I guess, <laughs> I mean, it, it is what it is. It, it, it's, it, I mean, fr- from from that, you know, it's okay. Warner Brothers and Discovery. It's just it's long and not really sexy. I mean, at least with Peacock or Paramount Plus, you I mean it it has. I mean, it's one word and it's short. But Warner Brothers Discovery is the new name. Okay. Next up, TV ratings. Uh, Univision's broadcast of the Liga MX final second leg between Cruz Azul and Santos uh, de Laguna delivered 3 million total viewers. The match delivered the most watched soccer broadcast in nearly two years and the top rated club soccer game on any network since December 2013 when Club America faced Lyon in the Liga MX Apertura final on Univision. So 3 million viewers for that second leg. And then um, the 2020-21 UEFA Champions League final broke 3.6 million viewers across Univision and CBS combined to deliver impressive numbers for both the English language and Spanish language broadcasters. Uh, The 1-0 victory for Chelsea over Manchester City was televised across CBS Network, Univision, Tuduene and Paramount+. Plus. And then the total combined uh, viewership, um, as we mentioned, across American television was 3.6 million. Big numbers, Kartik. Yeah. Big game. Huge numbers for both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think in many ways, I mean, I mean that U.S. victory against Mexico, um, I think the one thing we're missing is style. But in terms of the, the playability on the U.S. men's national team, I, I don't think there's a, a style yet. There is effort. There is energy. There's aggressiveness. There's a determination. But I think what it does do is it finally gets U.S. soccer fans hyped up again, feeling confident. That morale that was probably at its lowest probably about a year ago now has got got a big boost. And now the optimism has increased a little bit. And I think that will help TV ratings numbers and, and, and streaming numbers where people feel like, hey, you mean this team, I, I can believe in this team. This has potential. They may not win a World Cup, but they've got a potential to do really well. They just need to keep on getting better and um, playing the right players and, 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 and picking up uh, goals. The other thing about this Kartik too, I was reminded, uh, I think today, was that U.S. game against Mexico, um, USA's three goals were from set plays. Yeah. So no, no goals from open plays, open right. play. So, so th- th- there is definitely <laughs> room for improvement there, but still. But, but, but that, that's that, but again, I don't set piece goals. This is this is part of the problem with what's happened with the U.S. fan base. Set piece goals count the same as as as. Uh, uh, now, I think you get lucky with the penalty call, right? I mean, yeah. that could have gone either way. Right. But set piece goals are. Um, just as good as open play goals and while the u.s open play goals historically have come from counterattacks, haven't come from silky build-up play and breaking down the defense and then the the the, the center center forward getting in and get and scoring a a a, a, a goal they generally come from counterattacks. so the set pieces that the u.s scored on the two corners were drawn and i know this isn't broadcast related but this is just the defense of it were drawn from the u.s pressing high creating unforced errors 
forced by Mexico's defense, the, the, the second one especially, um, pressing high, forcing a defender to, 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 to flub a clearance, you get a corner. You get a cheap corner and you score. So there, to me, there's more value in that if you're talking about evolving as a football-playing nation when you're pressing high and you're creating defensive errors that give you set pieces, give you corners, yep. then sitting <laughs> – back with eight men behind the ball as the U.S. has often done against Mexico even in those Dose Cero matches we love to glorify in this country and beating them. I think this was a better victory against Mexico than almost all the Dose Ceros. I'm, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you and uh, I, I know that's a very uh, unpopular opinion but uh, oh. I saw more from this U.S. team in terms of just evolution than we saw in those matches where it was all about grinding out the result and sitting back and absorbing pressure uh, actually, I don't like the expected goal stats, but the U.S. had a higher expected goals in this match than Mexico did, which might be the first time in the history of XGs the U.S. had more XGs than uh, than Mexico in a, in a head-to-head matchup. Yeah, I, I still would like to see some goals from open play. It doesn't have to be. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, like like Mexico's uh, uh, Lionez or Lionez. Uh, his goal was, was exceptional. I mean, they end up losing the game, but I, I mean, I, I, that's all I'm asking for, Kartik. Just, just, just one or two now and again. All right, listener mailbag. Uh, Robert says, I read today that Norwich will not spend big to prepare for the Premier League. Is there a business model to make money for going up and then back down? I, I think it yeah, is. It is. Parachute payments run. galore. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, Norwich are one of the best-run clubs in, uh, in Western Europe. Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, Delia Smith, their owner, she's done such a phenomenal job of keeping, uh, keeping the books uh, clean, taking the parachute payments, and then the flip side of this, Robert, is Norwich never has to break up their team when they get relegated. So this is why they keep coming back up quickly. And Norwich has gone down. The last two times they've gone down, uh, they've come come back up with the same manager. Uh, Alex Neal and uh, and uh, uh, now Daniel Farka. Now Daniel Farka is coming back up, right? So so Daniel Farka got them promoted. Uh, then they got relegated. They didn't sack him, uh, and he's gotten them promoted again. And maybe he'll get them relegated again next year. It's in in this uh, this world. I think it's a very well run club and a, and a perfectly acceptable business model. Now, if you want more competition, uh, then you urge the top six clubs to stop hoarding all the money and and uh, uh, turning this thing into what they've turned it into. Right. That that it, that's uh, until the top the the top six realize what's good for all of football is good for them. Then uh, I, I support Norwich not buying anyone and going back down personally and just taking the money. That's what I would do. I think uh, they're very disciplined and smart about it. Mercator says uh, not pleased with the ESPN Euros coverage. Why is the regular feed not going to be on ESPN Plus? If ESPN wants to follow Peacock down that path, then be my guest. I'm still not paying for cable, and I won't pay for the app if the match isn't on there either. My IPTV added multicast last week. If the games aren't available to stream on ESPN+, Plus, then I won't be watching on ESPN. CBS did a great job with the Europa League, uh, brought in Rafa Benitez, and uh, the uh, Unai Emery interview is really good. He didn't get a fair break at Arsenal. Most importantly, the studio seemed happy for Villarreal and understood what it meant for them. Yeah, and, and with ESPN's coverage of the, Euro, uh, the Euros, uh, I think I think that's probably more contractual, where when UEFA would have done a deal with ESPN many years ago uh, to talk about, uh, to, to, to agree to um, the rights acquisition to acquire 
uh, the Euros. At that point in time, they'd say, "Hey, you mean TV coverage? You mean uh, you mean we're going to have it on ABC? We're going to have games on ESPN? We're going to have games on ESPN two? And and that is, you mean when that deal was signed, probably more well, like six years ago, that would have been the the time to say, "Hey, you mean if the, if if they had said, okay, we're going to have games on streaming, then that th- they probably wouldn't have wouldn't have won the deal necessarily. So so that's the thing is that uh, I think it's more contractual now. The next Euro deal, this is the last Euro deal under the current ESPN contract. Now the next deal might be different, whether it's ESPN or somebody else. Um, then streaming may be a key component of that. But uh, as of this time, when that deal was signed, I'm sure the TV side of it was uh, required. You mean just in in order to get the reach that UEFA wanted uh, to make this, you mean almost like a mini World Cup, and and to have as many people as possible watching these games. Greg says, uh, I'm not sure. I buy Kartik's point that Premier League ratings, TV ratings, were down this year because the league got predictable. The league has long been predictable. If anything, the West Ham and Leicester stories made this year less predictable. Liverpool's, Chelsea's and Spurs' seasons had dramatic arcs. Man City was lost until December. Southampton were top at one point. If Arsenal and Spurs get their acts together and West Ham and Leicester stay strong, there's no guarantees to be big six going forward. Predictable? No. Why were ratings down? I'd wager because there was a pandemic happening. And people's attentions and priorities priorities were all over the place. Also, there were matches on all the time, more match windows on weekends, more midweek games. NBC putting so many matches on Peacock and making uh, viewers bounce between services. And as Christopher mentioned later, uh, there's just so many options now, including decent title races in Italy, France and Spain, plus ESPN pushing the Bundesliga more than before. Kotick, your response? Yeah, I, I think that I think that those are all factors. Actually, I think that that uh, uh, I think the primary factor might have been Peacock, um, and then the, then I think the, the the predictability in terms of uh, some of the things uh, was a second factor, and then I would say the third factor is the availability of other leagues. I think the pandemic was supposed to actually increase television ratings because people were staying at home, and it did initially. So when we had Project Restart, uh, the numbers were much higher for Premier League games than they had been uh, prior to the break and actually uh, Serie A numbers are the high, were the highest they've ever they ever were in the three years on ESPN immediately after the restart in June and July so I think actually the pandemic and people maybe being cautious about the pandemic and staying at home uh, factored the other direction but yeah those are all those are all good reasons I think I agree with all of them I think uh, Peacock the uh, the predictability which is what I said Peacock which is what you're saying and, and obviously uh, the availability of other leagues and, and some of those leagues having some pretty good title races too yeah. uh, just more more options for people to watch more things for people to watch yeah I think two more things was one was that uh, the sheer number of games and each game having its own window of time it felt like a slow burn at times where it was like oh my gosh this is a long day i'm watching these games i'm enjoying them but i'm exhausted at the end of them it's you mean three games four games in a row uh and it seems to be like kind of uh you mean you mean saturday sunday and then monday to be like two games and then tuesday so i think there's a little bit of a burnout factor and then the other thing too having no fans uh was a big uh, factor, I think. I think is that uh, it's yeah. just not the same watching those games without the fans. 
Donald Dickerson says, I'd like to say the new Paramount Plus layout is 100% better. This live channel guide style is a very nice update, in my opinion. If you haven't seen it yet, um, it updated for me on Friday. Uh, by far, it will make my soccer watching much, much easier. Thank you, Paramount Plus, for taking our suge- suggestions and doing this. Harry says the next thing Paramount Plus needs to do is offer multi-screen. With so much soccer on, having that option would be so great. Would love to also see a schedule for live sports. So I think the schedule's there, but the the multi-screen, absolutely. Um, we know, of, of course, uh, ESPN Plus for Apple TV has the multicast. Uh, this past week on the World Soccer Talk YouTube channel, we have a video uh, about how to use multi-view, which is Fubo's um, similar to multicast, which is Fubo's solution for Apple TVs also. And we've got a step-by-step guide of how that works to show you what it looks like. But yeah, absolutely. I think Paramount Plus needs to add that multi-screen feature, especially with having so many leagues. I mean, Italian League, Brazilian League, Argentine League. uh, They did acquire the Asian League, a bunch of the Asian Leagues, uh, and uh, World Cup qualifiers from Asia, in addition to CONCACAF Nations League and some other CONCACAF games. I mean, there's a lot of content there. And World Cup qualifiers from the CONCACAF region. Rich says, uh, per the Ray Hudson listener question that was read in the podcast, from listening to Ray Hudson on Sirius XM last week, I think there is very little chance of him going to ESPN. He was basically saying goodbye to La Liga for the last 20 minutes of one show. I imagine that things could change, but I don't think he expects to be leaving B in sports in the short term. JP says, like both of you guys, I also find myself dismayed dismayed sometimes with the current state of soccer. Clubs have good seasons and then are forced to sell their best players because of financial issues or simply can't refuse the absurd transfer fee being thrown at, the, at them by larger clubs. I don't begrudge the larger clubs who can consistently com- be competitive every year, but I do feel for the smaller clubs who work hard to scout and buy intelligently only to be treated as a farm system proving ground for the dominant clubs the one saving grace has always been following more of the smaller leagues there's a certain joy in watching the dutch or belgian soccer aside from the good quality it's free of the media hype and drama and forced storylines just about the competition many of the most memorable matches i've watched this year happen to be in the eredivisie and and also the championship playoffs in belgium uh, the Sunday matches for these leagues often went head-to-head with Serie A or La Liga, and unless it was at, it was Napoli, I usually chose uh, these while monitoring my favorite Serie A or La Liga games during my, during the breaks, halftime breaks. For pure enjoyment, I would honestly choose um, Eredivisie if forced to pick only one league to follow, and isn't the reason we follow sports for the enjoyment. With regards to how being sports will treat Ligue 1, the French league, now that it's their highest profile league, I think they will do very well. Every year, League One uh, was usually started a week or two ahead of La Liga, and they had very in-depth post-match discussions about the league on Soccer Extra or whatever follows. Of course, that went by the wayside once La Liga started, but uh, um, they won't have that issue now. Only problem now, and it's a very big problem, is how many people will actually still be subscribing to be in sports next year. I guess a dedicated league and supporter will, 
and they'll get to enjoy great coverage, but don't think they'll be reaching anybody else, sadly. Kartik, uh, a lot to dive into there. Anything that stood out for you? Yeah, I thought there were a lot of good points. And, and uh, uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, uh, how, how BDN subscriptions are going to uh, be affected because I think uh, people who are La Liga fans found a way to get BN in this country. And maybe with La Liga not there, it will completely drop off. But if it doesn't, this is a good opportunity for Liga. They had a great title race this year. They actually had a great race for, for Champions League spots, too. I mean, they were the only league that had both the title race and the really good race for top four on. Because uh, what happened in Spain was that the top four were miles ahead of the rest of the league, right? Sevilla, who was fourth, was I felt like 20 points ahead of uh, fifth. So uh, th- that that would be good, actually, if, if uh, subscriptions remain high and Liga gets that uh, that that window uh, at BN. Uh, the other big question I have um, going forward for BN is, are there opportunities for them uh, maybe to pick up uh, some of these uh, uh some, some, some of because the right cycle deals are so short in this sport, uh, especially for European leagues. If they want to stay in the U.S. market, is there an opportunity for them to pick up uh, in two years or three years uh, after 2022? Right, because we know they want to keep that station operating in this country at least till 2022 World Cup to pick up um, one of the leagues that comes uh, back uh, on the market. Presumably, I'm thinking Serie A really would be the, the, the one that would come up first. That might be doable. Or maybe that's completely gone for them now and they're going to be dealing with second-tier leagues besides France, which means that they're not going to get back on, on uh, in many homes. Yeah, I, I think they're done, Kartik, to be honest with you. I think that um, the only salvation that they have is, and even then there's no guarantee, is if you know, if Messi says, you mean this summer, hey, I'm going to PSG. I believe in Pochettino. I believe uh, I, I want to play with Neymar. I want to play with uh, Kylian Mbappe. I want to play that. I want to make that a dream team. And then all of a sudden, Messi's now on being sports um, for next season. I don't see that happening. It's quite possible it could. But to me, that's the only salvation. And, and even then, there's no guarantee that they would still get uh, some big numbers. Um, for the month of June, there's practically nothing on being sports. I mean, they have, I think, some of the playoffs for uh, La Liga uh, from the Segunda Division to get into the playoffs to, to qualify for La Liga. I think they have uh, a CAF uh, Champions League game and they've got some NISA games that are on being sports extra and being sports connect. But for the most part, the month of June, there's, there's practically nothing on. So for a subscriber, there's very little you know, incentive to keep that station. July is probably not that much better either. And then August, you've got League on. So there's a lot of concerns. And, and at the same time, it doesn't seem to be that BN Sports is going in for any, any of these rights deals. Uh, in my conversation with them, it sounds like they're going to be looking at other sports, looking at some cheaper options that are going to be in, in the class of rights that they can afford. Um, behind the scenes, I'm hearing that there's been massive layoffs and that uh, that was announced last week internally at BN Sports and those will take effect in August. So on the production side, it sounds like they're they're laying off I mean, a large number of people because they've lost La Liga. Uh, they know that... Um, you mean they're going to have to tighten the belts quite a bit. They're probably going to lose a lot of advertisers. They're probably going to lose a lot of subscribers. I just don't see any way of them coming back because 
they're not in the conversations. At the same time, I mean, in terms of these rights acquisition deals, when you have a CBS or an NBC um, or you mean ESPN and, and, and others competing for the rights, the amount of money that these, these companies are paying, I mean, $175 million a year for La Liga rights uh, for, from ESPN. I mean, just enormous amounts of money. And at the same time, being sports doesn't have the distribution to, to monetize that, to make, to make that work. They're not on Comcast. They're not on DirecTV. So I, I think it's a no-win situation. Being sports have made a lot of mistakes along the way. Uh, I think they've been very big-headed um, and also very not the best communicators. And um, they've ha- had good talent. And as we've seen, there's a lot of talent that have come through being sports that went on to bigger and better things. Uh, Ian Joy and Drake Codero, just just two names. Um, there's many, many others. They've gone on uh, Matteo Bonetti. There's many, many that have gone through the system at being sports, uh, K. Murray, and have done a good job um, showing how good they are and have been picked up by ESPN or, or other broadcasters. I, I, I am just not... Uh, not at all optimistic, unfortunately, about being sports for the future. Turfit says, uh, how much longer will the La Liga TV channel be live on being sports three on, on connect? Is ESPN plus planning to have this channel live or just clips from it? And then Mike says, unlike many people, I shuddered when I heard the news that the La Liga rights had been acquired by ESPN. In spite of its many faults, being sports provided access to what has become my favorite channel to watch, La Liga TV. Knowing ESPN like I think I do, they will want to put it they they will want to put put their own stamp on La Liga, which means the future of La Liga TV uh, in the US could be in serious doubt. And he says, uh, through your many contacts, do you have any information on when this, uh, what will become of this channel? So I think, uh, I think Mike, you're right. I, I just don't think that uh, La Liga TV, you I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, you go to ESPN Plus, there's so much content there as far as, you mean, documentaries, uh, series, you mean, uh, ESPN FC, the soccer games, all the different leagues. Um, and it's not the type of um, channel or, or streaming service that has, you mean, like live broadcast of La Liga TV, you mean, 24-7. It doesn't seem to be a good fit for that. Um, and, Mike, I think you're right as far as ESPN wanting to put their stamp on things. I just don't see that uh, being available. Now, they, they may pick and choose and use some of that La Liga uh, TV coverage, whether it's press conferences or other things, and incorporate that into some of their analysis or, or broadcasts. But um, I don't think you'll be able to get La Liga TV like you did uh, before on, on being sports. Uh, oh, uh, oh, geez. So the thing I forgot to mention earlier, Chris, is uh, of things that I have watched uh, since our last uh, our last uh, episode, nothing better than the Galactico, speaking of ESPN Plus and documentaries. It's so, good. Uh, yeah, it's very good. Uh, so, and you can watch it in Spanish, or you can watch it in English. They've they've got both, and and uh, uh, the Spanish has uh, English subtitles. Uh, I mean, the English has English subtitles for the Spanish, and the Spanish has Eng- Spanish subtitles for the English parts. So, uh, it's actually a very bilingual documentary. Uh, so, uh, outstanding. I I I, uh, I think the timing was really good because the Florentino Perez story is uh, 
is back in everybody's minds, right? It doesn't go away for people who follow La Liga or Real Madrid. For a lot of us, though, we had forgotten uh, what a character he was. Or not, I mean, I hadn't forgotten, but you know, I, he wasn't on, on my radar the last year or two. So uh, it, it, it was well worth it. So I, I recommend that. It's three parts, and again, you can do it in Spanish or in English. And if you do either language, you'll get the other language subtitles because it's like a documentary that has a lot uh, – some people speaking in English in the interviews and some people speaking in Spanish. A little more Spanish than English, but but still it's in both languages. All right, two more comments to go. Uh, Guam94 says, thanks so much for talking about soccer cards and stickers. I will have to stick to my tops UEFA match attacks that I can find at Target and online. At Target, a box is $9.99 and a pack is $0.99. Cents. Hopefully other listeners can find these as well. Soccer is my favorite sport, but I believe that we have to be realistic in the U.S. about soccer, college and professional football as king. And I I don't see soccer jumping past baseball, basketball or hockey in popularity anytime soon. And then last but not least, uh, Don says, uh, Chris and Kartik, what do you think? uh, What's your preferred method of uh, collecting Panini soccer stickers? Do you stick them all in your album or do you save them as unstuck stickers? And Don says, I guess there are pe- people who buy packs and boxes and don't even open those in the hopes that 20 years from now, people will want to have a chance of what might be a treasure in one of those packs. Personally, I gave away all my American sports cards to charity a few years ago and have begun to wonder if I should start doing the stickers for my soccer clubs that I follow. Uh, Armenia, Armenia, Bellafield, and um, Crystal Palace of the Premier League. So, Kartik, what do you do? Do you uh, stick them all in, in the albums, or do you keep them unstuck? I stick them all in the albums, although uh, I'm beginning to think maybe that that was unwise in some cases, right? So, uh, 2013, for instance, I, I'm I'm trying to complete my 2013 Premier League collection, and uh, I uh, I have now gotten a Sterling quote rookie and Lukaku rookie, and I'm not sticking them until I complete the album. So, if I get every other sticker, I'll stick them. Basically, I'm close to getting every other sticker. Uh, yeah, uh, Bellafeld, uh, good great page on them in this year's uh, uh, Bundesliga tops album uh, by the way don and and uh i we did a video that we released on world soccer talk a couple weeks ago of my uh my bundesliga albums and you can check that out at world soccer talks youtube page uh, uh i i think i go through the bellafeld page for uh for this year for 20 uh 2020 2021 and uh palace also yeah of course uh they have a pretty good collection uh now although the, the, truthfully the panini uh Premier League has gotten very difficult the last two years because we've added all these layers of extra stickers. So uh, as Chris knows, because I told him last night, uh, I've started I've not decided to go back now as I'm trying to complete the 2013 tops Premier League. I've completed the last three years of Bundesliga because Bundesliga is still more manageable. 300 something stickers not 700 like the Premier League. I've decided rather than try and complete these last two years of Panini 2020 and 2021 which have just become impossible, I'm going back and doing 2019 tops, which was the last Merlin tops year, and the album is 330 stickers or something, so it'll, it'll be easier to do. So I'm going back and getting packs from there and, and, and doing that. And I think Chris, in fact, this might serve as your reminder to order yeah. that album. So yeah, that you can take my duplicates off me. Yeah, yeah. As soon as this podcast is done, I'm going to have to order that through eBay. And uh, if you are interested, listeners, uh, we do have a series of videos. 
uh, one every week, and also a series of articles. So the articles you can find at worldsoccertalk.com, and then the videos on our YouTube channel. So uh, just type in World Soccer Talk on YouTube, and we've got uh, weekly videos. So Kartik mentioned um, some of the videos that he did. Uh, he did one on the Euro 2020 collection from Panini, Panini as well as uh, Topps Bundesliga. And uh, I've got a few on there too, some, some Premier League from uh, Panini, and uh, some Champions League stuff too. So it's, it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, if you get a kick out of that or if you're curious uh, or interested, go check that out. So listeners, we want you to have your say. This has been a big episode talking about everything from U.S. soccer to uh, broadcast options to the latest streaming news and uh, trying to answer your questions uh, to uh, to give us give you all the information that we have about watching the beautiful game if you do have any questions comments observations uh, for us uh, want to agree or disagree with us we'd love to hear from you you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com Kartik Copa America starts on Sunday. Euro 2020 starts on Friday. Uh, it's going to be non-stop. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> probably uh, like what six games, five to six games a day for the next uh, month. So, so listeners and Kartik to definitely uh, get some rest, <laughs> recharge those batteries, do whatever you can because this is going to be a fun ride. Uh, I'm really excited about both of those tournaments. We'll be back next week. Uh, talking I'm sure about ESPN's coverage and uh, and also Fox's coverage of Copa America which is going to be pretty interesting uh, we have no idea what to expect but Kartik what are you going to do and what should the listeners do enjoy your football are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns